Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me all over the house. Let's stand together. I want to just reiterate what Randy said. Thank you for helping yesterday. We had a very large group up here, maybe 1,500, 2,000 people, and I was the car parker, one of the car parkers, and uh, I got sunburn around my face and my neck, and someone said, well, Pastor, you're a real redneck today. <laughs> I was a real redneck before today. <laughs> Take your Bible, and uh, I want to read the scripture uh, with you this morning, and uh, we're going to begin at John chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus has been betrayed. He is... Uh, tried that early morning on Friday and then he is buffeted and he's beat. Pilate's soldiers take him and beat him unmercifully with a cat of nine tails, lacerate his body and I've heard this before and you know it's not true. Someone said well they only gave him 39 stripes. Well that's what the Jews did. How many of you know it wasn't the Jews who beat him? It was the Romans. They didn't have any rule like that. They would beat you to the inch of your death. And so they beat him and they whipped him and they buffeted him. They plaited a crown of thorns and shoved over his head and put a purple robe on him, gave him a reed. They mocked him and all the shame and the hurt and the things that he uh, endured. They later put a cross on him and made him carry it to Golgotha, the place of the skull. He fell under the weight of the cross he had some help by Simon the Cyrene and he went there and they drove the nails in his hands and his feet and lifted him and suspended him between heaven and earth and there they crucified Jesus. Verse 28 now after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled said I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it's finished. They did not take his life. He gave his life. He said, no man takes my life. I'll give my life willingly. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they had came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, when they had come to Jesus, saw he was dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Bless your word in our hearts and our ears, and we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. Early one Sunday morning, the pastor and his staff got to the church and lying outside close to the church was an ugly, mangy, dead mule. 
and uh, they didn't know what to do. Here's this dead mule there by the church, and they had some speculation why the mule was there. They thought, well, maybe it got out of its pen, and a car hit it, and it wandered into the church property and died, and some others thought, well, maybe it got sick, and in, in some way it ended up at the church uh, grounds, and there he has this dilemma of a dead mule right before church started, so he called animal control to come and pick up the mule, and they said, hey, pastor, it's Sunday, it's early, this is not a dog or a cat. This is going to take more than just a, a little uh, uh, job. And the mayor does not want us to go out, you know, on the, the days that we're not supposed to be working unless it's an immediate emergency and it's going to cost money. And why don't you call the mayor? So he called the mayor and he didn't want to call the mayor because the pastor said the mayor was uh, critical and he was uh, obnoxious and condescending. Not like our mayor here, I just want to say that because he's a member of our church. And, and so, uh, so anyway... He calls the mayor, and, and the mayor says, why don't you get me out of bed? Uh, you know, call animal control. I did. They said to call you. They didn't want the expense. And he says, I don't know why you're calling me. He said, you got to take care of it. And the pastor tried to think, how am I going to respond to him? And he said this. He said, well, in my business, if someone dies, we always call the uh, first of kin to let them know what happened. <laughs> You know, every person here has dilemmas. Some of you get that on the way home. But anyway, every person here has dilemmas that we are dealing with through death, through life, through value. Let me say this to you, and you're going to immediately pick this up. The value of anything is only tied to the price someone is willing to pay for it. I mean, you can sell a house, you can sell jewelry, you can sell your car, and if nobody's willing to pay your price, it's not worth that much. It's only worth what someone is willing to pay the price for. Now, how valuable are you today? How valuable am I today? Jesus Christ went to the cross, shed his blood, went through a horrible experience, so much so that in the garden that night while he was praying, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me if it's possible. How many of you know it wasn't possible so you and I could be redeemed? He had to go to the cross, shed his blood, give his life so we could be the children of God. How many of you believe that? If that's what it took to redeem us, you're valuable. I'm valuable. So tomorrow, if you're down, if you're struggling with depression or despondency, I'm going to tell you how valuable you are today. Jesus gave his life for you. Peter said you're not redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold, but you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. So you and I are valuable to God because of the price that was paid for us. Isn't that amazing? God had you in mind when the cross is at the centrality of the gospel and the resurrection. You see, that week, the incarnation, that last week of the passion of Jesus, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection is central to the gospel. If we don't have that, we don't have a gospel. Can I hear an amen? And it was central to that early church. Several years ago, there was a woman who wrote a letter to a minister, and I'd tell you his name, but I don't want to tell you his name. I mean, it's a real person, a real incident. And we have all kind of theories that the secular world's trying to explain away why we're happy today. It's the swoon theory. Someone stole the body. I mean, how many of you heard all of these theories? So she writes the letter. Here's the letter. She said, our preacher said in his sermon on Easter last week that Jesus just swooned on the cross and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? I love his reply. Here it is. 
Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip until his body's lacerated and almost unrecognizable. Nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side into his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, and see if you can nurse him back to health. What a wonderful response. You see, Jesus actually died. And he gave up his spirit according to the word of God. And see, we are battling this in secular culture. But we've gathered here today to celebrate and to lift our voice and to lift our hands and lift our lives and lift up his name because Jesus purchased us valuable the life of Christ, so that we could be redeemed. They buried him, and on the third day, he resurrected victorious over death, hell, and the grave. So here we are celebrating. And it is not a swoon theory. It's not a steal-the-body theory. This is a miracle that you and I experience every day of our life, the resurrected Jesus. Several years ago, a friend of mine sent, sent me a newspaper article from the West Coast or the Left Coast. But anyway, sent me an article, and this article was actually an interview with a pastor from Texas. Uh, a real article, and, and I got it. And this anonymous interview from this pastor was asked about some of the fundamentals of the gospel that you and I believe, such as the virgin birth, the authenticity of scripture, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he shared in the article that he did not literally believe that these things happened. And the question was posed to him, then why do you preach it? You're a pastor and you preach these things. If you don't personally believe it, why do you preach it? And this was his answer. My people believe it. I personally don't believe it, but my people believe it. So therefore I preach it. Folks, if we don't have those things, we don't have a gospel. If we don't have those things, we don't have hope. So the hope that we have is in the authenticity of scripture, the virgin birth, the incarnation, the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. And Paul said this, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we're of all men most miserable. He said, you're still in your sins and your faith is in vain or it's worth nothing because he didn't rise from the grave. But if he did, how many of you know you got the right thing, baby? I mean, this is real. The early church preached the resurrection and they preached it from day one. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, the first sermon that we know in the early church, this is what Peter preached. He said, 50 days after the resurrection, now Jesus has ascended in Acts chapter 1. Acts 2, he's preaching. He says, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was impossible that death could hold him. Impossible. Now, I want to take you just through a little journey here very quickly. Sometime later, when Peter's at the household of Cornelius in Acts 10, the first Gentiles that got saved, Peter declares this, Jesus was killed by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him up on the third day. Acts 13, Paul is preaching in Antioch, and he states, Pilate could find no cause to put Jesus to death, but they crucified him, put him out 
from the cross, laid him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days by many witnesses. Acts 17. Now, Paul was preaching in Thessalonica. He said, Jesus had to suffer and rise from the dead. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Then in Athens, remember when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill to all of these Greeks who have all this information, the philosophy, Aristotle, Socrates, and he sees this monument to the unknown God, and he says, I want to declare to you the God that you don't know. Guess who he started preaching? He started preaching Jesus. This is the one you don't know. And as he's preaching, he says this. He says, God will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus who has been raised from the dead. And when he said raised from the dead, some mocked him and others said, I want to hear this. Now, why is all this going on? Because the centrality of the resurrection is the center of the gospel. Because if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, we have no gospel, right? And then when Paul preaches to Festus, Felix, and King Agrippa, you know what he tells all three of them? The most powerful people in Palestine of the day. He says, Jesus is alive today. Now, why is this rehearsed over and over and over? Because Everybody there knew about crucifixion. They knew that people who were crucified died. But there is another step to the story they're telling. Yes, he was crucified, but on the third day, he rose from the grave. Now, this is news. It wasn't that big of a news that someone was crucified, but the big news is he who was crucified on the third day resurrected and death has no more hold on him. Now, let me tell you, friends, that's big news. And so that's why they're listening. It's amazing. Do you realize there were 14 post-tomb appearances of Jesus? 14 post-resurrection appearances by Jesus. Early that morning, Mary Magdalene came. And she looked in the tomb. Jesus was not there. There are two angels inside, one at the front and the back of where they laid him. And then later when she turns around, she sees Jesus thinking he's the gardener and said, where is he? Where have you put him? And he said, Mary. And she said, Rabboni, Rabbi, it's you. It's you. And then later by the women that are there, they saw him. And then Peter saw him. The disciples going to Emmaus saw him. The apostles gathered together except for Thomas. How many of you know Thomas wasn't there? And then when Thomas came back, the rest of them with Thomas saw him. Because Thomas says, I don't believe you. We call him doubting Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap, don't you? And then when he is there, because he previously said, unless I see the nail prints in his hand and the wound in the side, I'm not believing that he's alive. And then one day when they're together, boom, Jesus appears. And the first thing he does, he says, Thomas, come here. Feel my hands, look at my side. And Thomas fell down. He said, my Lord and my God. Wow, I'm getting God bumps just thinking about this. So he appears to them with Thomas at the... Sea of Galilee, the seven that are fishing. Remember when, when Jesus, uh, you know, he's there, then he's gone. And, and Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. How many of you know, if you don't stay close to Jesus, you'll revert back to what you were. I'm going to go fishing. So there's seven there and they're fishing and Jesus appears with them. And then in Galilee on the mountain, there are the apostles and 500 
other people witnessing Jesus alive after the tomb, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Then in Jerusalem, he appears to James on the Mount of Olives when he ascends. There's a group there watching him. As Stephen is being stoned, he looked and he saw Jesus, right? Paul going to Damascus or Saul of Tarsus and he sees Jesus. Then in the temple he sees Jesus, right? And then John when he's exiled to the Isle of Patmos, guess who he sees? He sees Jesus. Fourteen different times they saw the resurrected Jesus and not just one, not two, but hundreds of people. Let me tell you, I'd like to try that case in court. Let's call this eyewitness, let's call this eyewitness, let's call these 500. I'll guarantee you I could win that case and I'm not even a lawyer. As some of you are just looking at me. So what do we take away today? I mean, we come here, it's a high holy day, it's a great day, it's a wonderful day. So what do we take away today? And I'm going to give you three things. If you have a pencil and paper, get them out. Here are the three things I want you to take away today. Here's number one. The resurrected Christ is your companion. Say that with me. The resurrected Christ is your companion. Let's all say it together. The resurrected Christ is your companion. And let me tell you how I know that. When these two that saw the events of that early Sunday morning, they knew the women said they saw him. Peter said he saw them. And they heard the account of the angels. But there is no body. There is no Jesus. They don't know where he is. They don't know if they've been hallucinating. They don't know what's going on. These two guys who are from originally a little town seven miles away, takes about a two-hour walk from Emmaus, they're so dejected, they're going to say, I'm going home. And so they're headed back to Emmaus. So while they're going and, and they're traveling, it is the end of the Passover weekend. They're dejected. They're sad. They're, they're headed home. And I want to pick it up. This is Luke chapter 24. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Everybody say sad. These guys, they feel like their world has imploded. They look so down, so sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered, he said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Let, let me give you the Oklahoma vernacular. What? Are you the only guy around here that doesn't know what's going on? Where have you been? Have you not been watching CNN and Headline News and Fox and MSM? No, let's don't talk about that one. Anyway, have you not been watching the news? I mean, Jerusalem is up in an upheaval. I mean, this one we thought was the Christ, the Messiah. I mean, they took him. They falsely accused him. They tried him. They beat him. They whipped him. They crucified him, buried him. And we thought on the third day he would resurrect. But we don't know where the body is. I mean, that's why we're sad. That's why we have had our hopes dashed. And the risen Savior began to walk alongside of them. And they were disappointed, sad, and brokenhearted. And let me just say this. In your journey, there have been times you have been brokenhearted, disappointed, and sad. And you may be here today that way. You may be here today, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but you may be brokenhearted, you may be sad, you may be depressed, you may be despondent, but I'll guarantee you, we have a Savior on your journey and my journey who will come right beside you, and he'll walk with you. Yeah. I started singing this yesterday, and I'm going to just horrify you here for a minute, but, uh, and he walks 
with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever do you know that old hymn it's called in the garden right why is the songwriter of that old hymn says he walks with me and he talks with me because this is the very account that happened when you're sad, when you're depressed, when you're alone, when you feel like it's not going to work out, guess who joins you on the journey? The resurrected Christ joins you on the journey. He comes alongside of you and says, let me walk with you. And then we have the companion that walks with us that gives us the insight while we're walking. Because they didn't think they had enough information to understand what was going on. And the Bible says Jesus started it at Moses and began to unfold and expound the scriptures to them so they would have a greater understanding of what's going on. Have you ever been when you didn't understand what's going on with you? Okay, let me preach to this side then. Have you ever been when you didn't understand what was going on? I have God. What's going on here? Why am I going through this? I don't understand. I'm your kid. Surely you treat your kids better than this. Yes. And we have a risen Savior that comes alongside of us when we're sad, when we're going through difficulty. He comes alongside of us when we don't understand. See, these travelers... I mean, they knew the women had gone to the tomb. They knew about the angels appearing. They knew that the tomb was open. No body. No Jesus. Where is he? We don't know. So they're going. You know, these two believed the negative instead of the positive. I mean, these guys, they, they knew something must have happened, but maybe not a resurrection. We don't know what happened. And Jesus began to explain to them. And give them the information they needed. How many of you are glad that you've got a Savior that will come alongside of you on the journey and begin to inform you of what's going on and open up your understanding? And when they got close to the village, it was evening, and they were so enamored with this traveler with them, they said, hey, come with us. We're going to have supper. And Jesus goes with them. And they're sitting down at the table, or reclining on a couch, and Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and their eyes were opened. And they were amazed that this was Jesus. And immediately, he vanished out of their sight. And they looked at each other. Well, listen, I'd be looking too. Okay, don't be so holy. I'd, I'd look and say, what just happened here? This guy was sitting right in front of us. He took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he vanished. And then they said this. Did not our hearts burn while he was talking to us as we walked? Not only do we have a companion that will go with us and help us understand some stuff, but he's the kind of companion that will bring the passion and the fire back to your life. You see, so many people today, especially in Christianity, they've lost, lost the passion. They've lost the fire. And if you're a visitor today and we're kind of hollering and raising our hands and saying amen and some people are jumping up and down, hey, that's okay. we got some fire in our bones. we got a little bit of passion here because this is a big deal. Jesus is alive. And he 
was burning our hearts with his words. We should have known this was him. He's the risen Savior companion that puts fire back into your life. Here's number two. He's the resurrected Savior that breaks the barriers in your life. Do you realize that when we fell into sin, that sin becomes a barrier? This is what the Lord said. Your sins and your iniquities has separated you from your God. And here's the side point. God never moved. God never moved. When the Lord would come down in the cool of the day and the cool of the evening and walk with Adam and Eve, let me tell you, he showed up and Adam didn't show up. Come on, somebody say amen. You help me here. I'm telling you, Adam's the one who didn't show up. God showed up. Why didn't Adam show up? Because sin had entered his life. Adam, where are you? Well, I'm over here. Why aren't you over here? Well, I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Well, I'm just naked. Adam, these fig leaves aren't doing it for you, buddy. It's going to take more than fig leaves. Right? What happened? There was a separation there. Sin and iniquity separates us. Do you realize that he breaks the barrier of bondage? Not only the barrier of sin, but the barrier of bondage. See, sin and iniquity can put you in bondage. A lot of people, we're trying to help get out of bondage. Alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography. Uh, listen, all kind of stuff with your marriage, your self-esteem, depression. Jesus can break the bondage. The risen Savior is the sin forgiver, bondage breaker. So he can break the bondage in our lives because he's risen. If he's not risen, no breaking of bondage, no hope. But he can do that. He breaks the barrier of separation. In Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read you two verses. I've been contemplating this for a week. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Could I take that last line and you read it with me? Through the veil that is his flesh. Let's say it together. Through the veil that is his flesh. Through the veil that is his flesh? Now, I've been on this for a week. And, uh, you know, there are wedding veils where brides veil their face. In the Old Testament, the Bible says there was a veil in the Holy of Holies. To give you a little layout of the temple or tabernacle, see, there was a court of the Gentiles, court of the women, there was a court of the men, then the priests had come a little bit closer, and then there was the holy place where the shewbread is, the showbread, and the anointing oil, and the candles, and the altar of incense. But in that inner sanctum, or in that inner chamber, the holy of holies, is where the Ark of the Covenant sat. The cherubim are covering the ark, and there the high priest could only go in once a year. They had to go in with the blood, the blood of redemption that would cover the sins. He would sprinkle it over the mercy seat, and he did it year by year by year looking for the real blood that was going to be shed, but separating that holy of holies with this massive veil or curtain about this thick. And when I read in... The scripture where Moses received the instruction. God told Moses, when you make this veil, it should comprise three colors. Scarlet, purple, and blue. And I thought, why is this veil scarlet, purple, and blue? How many of you know the Holy Spirit will teach you? 
And I begin to read in Hebrews that the real veil was not the veil in the temple. That was only a shadow and type. The real veil was his flesh. And if you have your body buffeted and beaten and whipped, can I tell you the three colors your flesh will have? Scarlet and purple and blue. You ever had a bruise? You ever had a cut? You ever had trauma? A few years ago, Matt and I were loading about 10, five, 600 pound calves in a trailer. And I had them almost in. And they decided to get demon possessed. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. No, no, listen. I mean, these calves, one of them got up there, wouldn't jump in the trailer. They went crazy. They turned. And it felt like every one of them ran over me. I could not get up. Matt had to get me up, get me out of the, the cow, cow lot, get me to a fence. I pulled myself up. He had to put me in the truck, drive me home. And uh, I couldn't walk. To this day, I still have a hoof print in my leg. I'm not going to show it to you, so just, okay. <laughs> but to this day, I still have a hoof print in my leg. And so I'm sitting in the recliner have my leg up. My leg got huge. It looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy, little toes sticking out the end. My wife is a registered nurse, and I said, Carrie, do you think it's broke? She said, there's only one way to tell. So she hauled me up to Dr. Jeff's, and he said, well, it's not broken, but you have severe, severe damage all through your leg. My leg turned every color. It was purple, and it was blue, and it was scarlet. I mean, it just turned all those colors. Folks, when you looked at Jesus after the beating and the buffeting and the whipping, if we would look at him on the cross, the veil of his flesh would be scarlet and purple and blue. And when that flesh was opened up, this is what the Bible says. It says there was a, there's now a new and a living way that has been opened. And while he at 3 o'clock in the afternoon is hanging on the cross, I mentioned it earlier, he cried out with a loud voice, It is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it's finished. I have accomplished what I was sent to do. I fulfilled all the scripture. And when he cried out with that loud voice, It is finished. The Bible says that that veil in the temple began to rip into from the top to the bottom and the Holy of Holies now was opened up. It wasn't to let God out. How many of you know it was to let us in? That now we can boldly come to the throne of mercy and grace. A new living way has been opened up through his flesh. That what he did at the cross and at Calvary gave us access unto the intimate presence of Almighty God. The flesh was opened. And you and I now have access. You see, he breaks the barriers in our life. And here's number three. Here's the last one. The resurrected Christ gives us hope. Gives us hope. I can't tell you how many 
hundreds and hundreds of times I have stood in cemeteries. I'll be in one tomorrow. And I can't tell you how many times I've stood there by the body of a loved one, a mother, a dad, a grandparent, a husband, a wife, a child, a baby. And let me tell you, if we don't have hope in the resurrection, we're of all men most miserable. If you've had that experience of losing a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or Carrie and I as our oldest son passed away at age 24 it is gripping, it is haunting, it is earth shattering you know sometimes we sing this song and maybe we'll do it next Sunday it's actually the Apostles Creed we sing it, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And there's one point in that song, and I shared this with Waylon a few months ago when we started singing it. I said, Waylon, let me tell you why I love this song. Because there's a part in it that says this, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. And I said, I stand there every time we sing that song and tears well up in my eyes because I truly believe in the resurrection. That one day we're going to see our loved ones again. We're going to see those who died in Christ again. There's going to be a family reunion. There's going to be a reuniting together. And that's where our hope is. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have hope. And if we don't, we're of all men most miserable. But thank God we have hope. Let me give you a little history lesson. Leonid Brezhnev was the leader of the Soviet Union. He succeeded Nikita Khrushchev. Remember that guy? Pounding his shoe on the podium. Bay of Pigs, Cuban Missile Crisis. Khrushchev became after him the leader of the communistic Soviet Union who did not believe in God, who was atheistic, would not allow worship, and he died in 1982 in November. And Ronald Reagan was the president. Let me remember the good old days. <laughs> and George Bush was the vice president. So Reagan sent Bush to Moscow to attend the funeral of the Soviet leader, Leonid Brezhnev. So in this atheistic, communist country, their leader has died. And at the end of the ceremony, the casket is there, his body's there. They're getting ready in a few moments to take him to the Kremlin Mall in Red Square and entomb him there. But Victoria, his wife, walks up to the casket as the soldiers put their hand on the lid to close it. And in an act of courage and defiance, she walks up to her husband's body and takes her hand and makes the sign of the cross on his body. 
Should it be that Victoria was saying, I hope against hope that maybe he would have some hope. The leader of the socialistic, communist, atheistic party's wife is making the sign of the cross across the chest of her husband, hoping there is hope. When it's all stripped away, my friends, when every bit of philosophical debate is over, when all the scientific facts have gone, the only hope we have against death is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord. But the good news is we have hope. We have hope. We have hope. Aren't you glad that you can come here today in spite of all the things and the ills and the things in our life that maybe are not going the way that you think they should go? We have hope in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you say, well, Pastor, my life is not going so good. You got hope. I'm going to tell you, Jesus can change anything. He'll turn water into wine. He'll turn death into victory. Thank God for the victory. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.